Amen. Many of you know the story behind that famous hymn, uh, a man by the name of Mr. Spafford, I believe, in the late 1800s, 1870s, 1880s, wrote that hymn. And many of you may know the background. Before he wrote that hymn, he was a businessman, and during the Chicago fires, he lost pretty much all of his business endeavors. Financially, had many, many difficulties, lost a lot of his income, really suffered financially at the hand of those fires and all that that entailed. And so along with that, he decided to uh, travel to England to be a part of some evangelistic efforts that Dio Moody was taking part in. And so he was planning to travel by ship from uh, America to England. And because of the fires and all of that and the different problems with his career and investments and finances, he stayed behind to resolve some of those things. And he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead to England. Now, this is the part of the story many of you probably know. During that travel, the ship was extremely battered, battered and the four daughters lost their lives. His wife arrived in England and sent a famous telegram back to him that said, I've basically survived alone. And what's amazing about this is that man then gets on a ship and he's traveling to England to still take part in these evangelistic efforts. And while he's at sea in right about the area where the ship suffered the storm and his daughters died, he begins to pen those words. It is well with my soul. And I can't help but get just so emotional thinking about that man's heart for Christ. And when you read that line, when the sea, when sorrow like sea billows roll, I mean, could you imagine he's in the very moment where his daughters lost their lives and he looks to the heavens and he says, Lord, despite all of that, it is well with my soul. And that kind of faith I envy and I long for the day that I could say to the Lord, no matter what I go through, because in Christ I have all that I could ever need or want, it is well with my soul even at the loss of our loved ones. And so what an amazing song this morning to sing as we move into the time of our message where we're going to be preaching the word and sharing the word. And I pray you'd be able to allow the spirit to apply the word, but that man and that song has, well, don't let it be just the words on the screen. I pray that actually the cry of your heart, Lord, let it be well with my soul. No matter what I face, I know that you are with me in the storm. And so uh, this morning, we're going to dive into our new series. We're starting a new series this morning, Step Out of the Boat. Step Out of Your Boat. And so Matthew chapter 14, turn with me there. We're going to look at a very famous passage to begin this series. This is kind of the, the baseline of our message, our series, Matthew chapter 14. Uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, whether in print or on your device, we do have Bibles in the seats around you. And so if you are using one of the Bibles provided, um, and again, we encourage you to do so, uh, you can just turn to page 683. So if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats there, page 683, Matthew chapter 14. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, maybe at home or you know, you just don't own one, we'd love to give you one. You can go by the Welcome Center and we'd love to give you a copy of God's Word free of charge. Uh, we won't ask for your social security, your credit card, your blood type, none of that stuff. 
Uh, we just want to give you a copy of God's Word so you have that with you. Or if you prefer to use a device, uh, if you download our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, there is a Bible feature right on the app as well. So you can get it a few different ways. But we really want to make sure we go to God's Word this morning. Amen? Uh, it is not about my opinion or your opinion that matters. It is about the Word of God. And so we want to base what we're going to talk about this morning in the Word, see how it can encourage us to keep our eyes on Him, and to see what He's calling us to. Because everything we, we know as followers of Christ is based in God's Word, and we pursue it. And so we're thankful for it. It is a gift of God that He gave us His Word that we could read this morning. And so my prayer as we're starting this new series is that we will begin to consider stepping out of the various boats in which we find ourselves. Our, my prayer as we're kind of working through this series is that we will discover the different types of boats that we find ourselves in that God is calling us out of. And we're going to understand prayerfully why he's calling us out of those situations or those ways of thinking. What is kind of in it for us in a sense, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, and we're going to see how even the disciples experienced a little bit of this, Peter specifically, but really we want to talk about when we get out of the boat, how God can use us even greater than when we're in the boat. And so we're going to talk about all that over the coming four weeks, and so I pray that you'll keep, stay with us for that. Join us for every one of those weeks as we journey through this topic. Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 22. So it says here in God's word, and again, famous account, many of you have read this. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And I encourage you to read all of John chapter 14. You're going to see this beautiful miracle that Jesus performs, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, that is not a, an allegory. That is not figurative. Jesus literally fed that group of people. He did a miracle in providing for them. So he sends them away and he sends his disciples into a ship to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He says here, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Now, I love that Matthew just says that. You ever stop and pause there? He just says, Jesus is walking on the sea. And then he goes to the next verse. We should stop and pause and recognize the miraculous nature of what Jesus is doing. He was walking on the sea because he is Christ. He is God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. goes on to say this in verse, um, where we go here? 26, is that where we are? Okay, thanks. I'm glad you guys are paying attention. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, I knew where we were, I was just helping you out. They were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. What else would you think? Right? You're in the boat, you look up, you see something that looks like a person walking towards you. They were consumed. They thought this is a spirit. This is basically a ghost. This word here is not spirit like Holy Spirit. Spirit meaning more ghost or some kind of aberration, some kind of a thing that we don't understand. This, this ghostly kind of figure. God's the same verse 27. I knew where we were there. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, a lot, uh, cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they, were, uh, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask the Lord to affirm these truths in our hearts and minds. Father, we come before you again this morning. Thankful for your word, thankful for the reality that it is a guiding light unto our lives that we can glean and learn by the work of your spirit what you'd have for us. Lord, I pray that as we journey through this topic over the coming weeks that you would give us clarity of mind, you'd give us wisdom of application, that Holy Spirit, you would show us how we can apply these truths to our lives right now today and in the weeks ahead that we might glorify the Lord, be used of the Lord to do good works that others would see, that they would praise the Lord at, at, at the sign of our good works and that we would be able to testify that it's not us, but it's Christ in us that does these things so that somebody else might come to Christ and receive eternal life. And so, Father, help us, Lord, to be mindful of what you're doing, aware of how you're leading, and willing to do whatever's necessary to follow what you're, where you're leading us. And so, Father, thank you for these that have gathered. I pray that you would encourage them as only you can. I pray for the one or maybe many that are struggling this morning. Maybe they're in the midst of a storm. There's something going on in their life financially, in a relationship, with their health. Lord, I don't know what it could be, any number of things. But I pray that if they are in Christ, that they would know that you are with them, that you can comfort them and use this. I know it's hard to believe, but use this time for your glory and their blessing. And Father, if there is anyone here, maybe watching online or in person, that has not received Christ as a Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would realize it's not about going to church. It's not about being a good person. We can't be good enough. We've all fallen short of the glory of the Lord. We've all sinned. We desperately need you to redeem us and save us by your grace and your grace alone. So we repent of our sins. We trust in the name of Christ. We believe that you died on the cross for us, was buried and rose again. And in so doing, you say, you grant unto us eternal life. And so, Father, would you draw those that need to be drawn to repentance that they might come to know Christ. And thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Continue to lead God and direct, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is a, an amazing story, right? Many of us have read the story. This is a VBS story. This is a Sunday school story. This is a junior church story. Many of you have read this and studied this or looked into this. And so I want to walk through this again. This is kind of the template for the rest of our series, but we're going to really dive into kind of what takes place in this moment, not only in the disciples' lives, specifically Peter, but also what we see Jesus doing here and how that can apply to our lives. Now, this moment that we're reading about here, Peter made a choice to step out of the boat and walk to Christ amidst the storm, to go to Jesus in the midst of the storm. He is the only one, and I believe will only be the only one, who will ever do this. I don't believe that anyone else will ever do this. 
Now, God can always do what he wants to do, but based on the rest of scripture, based on church history, and based on what I believe the purpose of this miracle was, I don't believe God would ever need to do this miracle again with anyone else. I believe Peter will be the only one apart from Christ that will ever walk on water in a literal sense, as we're talking about this morning. And now while I talk about stepping out of our boat, when I talk about this idea of stepping out and stepping out into the storm with Christ, I want us to understand I am not suggesting, again, that we can literally walk on water physically. I believe this was a specific miracle done for a specific reason in the presence of Christ. So Christ was literally on planet Earth, the God-man in the flesh, but also God. He walked on water and allowed Peter... By the way, Peter didn't walk on water because he was good enough to walk on water. God sustained Peter to walk on that water. And he allowed Peter to do that so that Christ was glorified. So that God was glorified. And so I believe this is a specific miracle at a specific time for a specific purpose that we never see duplicated again. And I don't believe we ever will see duplicated again. And that's okay because the Bible, or we don't need it to be duplicated because the Bible records it for us. There's many things that happen in Scripture that we don't need duplicated to believe that actually happened. We don't need a second day of Pentecost. It already happened. It's recorded for us. We don't need another one. We don't need Jesus to be resurrected from the grave again. Amen? He's already ascended. He is not going to come back, get on the cross, get back in the tomb, and resurrect again. He doesn't need to. It's done. It's finished. The work is complete. And so the Bible tells us many things that happened that only happened once. Now, other things happen multiple times, and and that's happened throughout the Scripture and throughout church history. But in this case, when I talk about stepping out of our boat and getting out in the storm, understand I'm using it in a figurative sense. I don't believe that anyone needs to walk on water to prove that this actually happened because it's recorded for us in Scripture. So I want to take this opportunity to use that the principles of that passage to use the ideas behind this passage to talk about how we, in our lives today, can step out of our boats, to step out of our fear, to step out of our comfort zone, and to step out into the storm of what God is calling us to. And by the way, he's calling us out of the boat to join him in the storm. He's out in the storm, and he's calling us to him. Over the coming weeks, we will look at, starting next week, the four boats that we need to step out of. We're going to talk about the lessons that we learn in the boat. And then we're also going to talk about arriving at the other side. Arriving at the other side. And so this morning we are beginning by discovering that when we make the decision to step out of our boat, we step out by faith. And so in your, uh, or on the app, there are some notes. If you'd like to take notes, you can do that. You can go to our media section in our app and there's sermon notes and you can find today's outline if you'd like to do that. But as we talk about stepping out of our boat, we realize we step out by faith. You see, for the disciples, and specifically for Peter, our faith becomes clear in a storm. Our faith becomes clear in a storm. Now that means wherever you're placing your faith becomes clear. For some of us, as followers of Christ, we are Placing our faith in Christ, is it perfect faith? No, of course not. There's no such thing. Read scripture. There's so many accounts of individuals that had strong faith, but it wasn't perfect faith. They still struggled. They still battled. Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, 
The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary we'll ever know of, traveled over 10,000 miles by foot preaching the gospel. The first known convert on the European continent, Lydia in Acts 16, Paul was over that conversion. And yet Paul says, great man of God says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why is it that I can't do the things I want to do? Why is there this battle in me, this wrestling? It's just sin in me. The, the great missionary, the apostle Paul, admits, I don't have perfect faith. I still need grace. And so when you cry out to the Lord, when you feel your faith wavering, you're in great company. Don't ever beat yourself up for not having perfect faith. Rather, run to him and say, Lord, I place my faith as small as I might have in you. Because the enemy wants you to think, oh, you're not perfect. He don't want to hear from you. No, he, he loves when his children come to him and admit their faults and their weaknesses and cry out to him and say, I need you. Just like any father, when a child comes and says, man, I just can't do this. What father does not love being able to step in and say, let me help. Let me be there. Let me show you that I'm there for you no matter what. You see, the faith of the disciples and specifically Peter's faith becomes clear in a storm. If you're placing your faith in yourself, you're placing your faith in your finances. You're placing your faith in a relationship. You're placing your faith in a career. The storms of life will show you very quickly how unstable those things can be. Many of us have experienced this. We just talked about the author of that famous hymn, It Is Well. He realized, and I don't believe he put his faith in his finances or in his relationships, but he realized those things are temporal. But our faith in Christ remains. Our faith in Christ endures. You see, the disciples were amid a storm and fearful of the unknown. Now, just a little background here, because I don't know if anyone here has been to Israel, if you've actually seen the Sea of Galilee. I've never been. I would love to go one day. How amazing would that be to stand on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and see where Christ calmed the waves? That would be amazing. Assuming many of us probably haven't been to Israel, I want to give you some background here on what's going on. And so this storm, this time of night where Jesus is walking out on the waves, is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Because it talks about being the fourth watch of the night. So between 3 and 6 a.m., the disciples have been in this ship now for a few hours. Remember, he says he sent them out and then he went away to pray and then came later. So they've been rowing, they've been working in this sea for a while. They've been dealing with the storm for a while. They're tired. Also remember, it's, it's early in the morning, 3 to 6 a.m. They've already been doing all of this ministry with the multitude and with everything going on all day, and, and they're just wore out. And so when we think about it this way, we need to understand that they're somewhere in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So they're not up near the shore where they can just jump out of the boat and be on, on dry ground. No, they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I do have a couple images I want to throw up there for you. So I think the first one might be just, okay, so this is, I don't know how well you can see that. But this is the Sea of Galilee. Now, we think Sea of Galilee, we think like Mediterranean Sea, you know, large, large bodies of water. The Sea of Galilee is actually probably better described as a large lake, okay? Uh, the distance from one shore to the next, uh, it is 13 miles long. And it is seven miles wide. I think we have a, a map image as well. So that's kind of an aerial shot. So from its 
Longest distance, it's 13 miles. At its widest point, it's seven miles. So, so not a big body of water, right? And most of the time, here's what's interesting. Most of the time, this is a very calm body of water. It sits quite a few hundred feet below sea level. And so because of its location, there's not many storms, large storms. There's specifically not tons of storms that you would see that would cause professional fishermen to be consumed with fear. And so when you look at this and you kind of understand the background of this, you think, wow, maybe the storm wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe it really wasn't that serious of a storm. They do get major windstorms that rush through this area. But to have something where the waves are quite massive, where it'd be described as battering the ship, beating upon the ship, it's pretty unlikely. However, there have been times where storms of great magnitude have been created in this body of water just because of where they're located. And I want to show you just a quick little, about a minute, maybe a minute and a half little clip of a couple in Israel. They were doing some documentary work and they were trying to record a storm coming across the Sea of Galilee. Now they did get the storm. Wasn't quite as severe as they were hoping it was going to be to see how bad it could really get. But they were able to get some footage. And then in that, they showed some footage from a previous storm. Now, one of those storms is from a few years ago, and the other one is from, I believe, 1992, one of the rare serious storms that was caught on tape. All right, so I want to show this to you guys, and I want to kind of give you an idea of potentially what may have been going on as the disciples were being beaten down by these waves. So we're going to show that video. Just a year ago, a singer-songwriter, Filippo Rossi, who is also known by his stage name Nothing Less, was able to capture this footage from a pier, located just a few hundred feet away from where Rhoda and I are standing today. And while this might look severe, we should first assess the height of the waves by using a reference object, such as the railing. Because we know that the approximate height of the rails is about four feet, we can take this measurement drag it to the lowest point of the wave and estimate that the height of the wave is about the same, 4 feet. And so while this water looks unusual for us, it certainly does not look big enough to make professional fishermen be scared for their lives. But luckily, we were able to gain access to another footage. The year 1992, when a famous Israeli director, Moshe Alpert, captures one of the greatest storms ever recorded on tape in the Sea of Galilee. And if we use the same analysis method, we can estimate that the height of the waves to be as high as 10 feet. On smaller boats, waves this high can definitely be considered life-threatening, even for experienced fishermen. So I wanted to kind of show you guys that because I want you to think in your mind, I want you to imagine when we read scripture, what could this have looked like? Now, I know we think larger vessels that even a 10-foot wave isn't a big deal, but remember, these guys are using very small boats 2,000 years ago. So we're not talking about, you know, maybe ships or boats that we think of today, large fishing fishing vessels. 
We're talking about small, small boats that could be easily capsized, easily destroyed in 10-foot waves. And this is the storm. I believe the waves and the storm is similar to that of what was recorded in 1992, where these professional fishermen are terrified at four, five in the morning. They're tired, they're wore out. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, you see a figure coming towards you on the water. So I want to ask you, now you don't need to start loud, but, but how would you respond? I'd be terrified. I would be terrified. The Bible also gives us another little bit of an insight into where they may be on the Sea of Galilee. John's gospel in John 6, 19 actually records that they rode out about three to four miles from the shore. So they were already moving out towards the deeper part of the water. So they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it's in this moment, in the massive waves, in the storm, in the tiredness, in the middle of the nights, that Jesus appears to them on the water. And what does Jesus do when he appears? What is the first thing that Jesus does when the disciples cry out in fear? Well, Jesus actually speaks three powerful truths. And when we're in the midst of a storm and our ship is being battered and we feel like we just can't go on and it's the middle of the night and is it ever going to change? Is it ever going to get better? Is that situation ever going to improve? Jesus, I believe, as a follower of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, and I believe through the word, speaks these truths to us as well. What are those three powerful truths? He says, take heart or take courage. When the scriptures say take heart, it means take courage. Be courageous. Jesus says, take courage. He says, it is I. Man, is there a more calming thing for Christ to say in the midst of a storm? Take courage. It is I. And then he says this, be not afraid. And so what are the three truths that he calls the disciples? Take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. You see, when we take courage in the midst of a storm, we are choosing to place our faith in Christ. Faith is not denying the storm. Faith is seeing the potential within the storm for God's glory. Faith is not going, oh, there's no storm. There's no storm. Everything's fine. There's no storm. No, faith is saying, no, Lord, in the midst of the storm, would you show me how you can be glorified in this through me? When Jesus says, it is I, I love this because the courage comes not for their, their experience as fishermen or handling the vessel. Their courage comes from the fact that Jesus is now with them. He may not be in the boat with them, but he is in the storm with them. And then finally, he says, be not afraid. Be not afraid. That if the Lord is with us, what can be against us? And I know we go through a lot of things in life. And as I shared just recently, there's many in our world today that are going through tremendous persecution at the hands of governments, terrorist groups, I mean, Christians are being slaughtered, imprisoned. A friend of mine who is a missionary in uh, Taiwan, he just posted on his social media that one of the pastors that helped him learn Chinese, who is in China, just was arrested purely because of his faith. And there's actually a network of pastors that now the word has gone out that most of these pastors are expecting phone calls from the government. 
information being sought after. What are you doing and where are you meeting and who are you gathering with? And I hear that and I read that and I think it's 2023 and this is still happening. Christians are still being pursued and persecuted. And what is the call of Christ in that? What is the call of Christ in the midst of their storms? Take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. So what does he call to us in the midst of our storm? And you might think, well, my storm's not nearly like that. I mean, the waves I'm battling have nothing to do with that. That's okay, because to the Lord, if we're going through it as our good and loving Heavenly Father, he sees it and he has concern and compassion over you. Whatever it is that we're going through, his cry to you is, take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. Jesus understood the natural fear the disciples were experiencing, and he speaks truth to their emotions. So desperately, we need the Lord to speak truth to our emotions. In response to this, Peter calls out and asks the Lord to let him come out to him on the water. You see, Peter's request was based on faith. His faith became clear, and his faith in Christ became clear. And he calls out and he says, if it's you, Lord, let me come to you. Now, Peter had no experience walking on water, correct? No resume, right? Like on Indeed. What are your credentials? Well, I've walked on water for five years, and I find myself very good at it. I also know Microsoft Office, and I can use Publisher very well. He doesn't put that on his resume. He's no experience of walking on water. No natural reason to believe he could come out to Jesus. Nothing in his personal life or his experience told him, yeah, this makes sense. I should be able to do this. It's amazing how he was fulfilling scripture before it was even written. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. He was applying that in his faith in Christ. While this seems like an odd way to establish that the person is really Jesus, it's not as bizarre as it may sound. Some scholars suggest that Peter's real meaning was not if it was Christ, as in should it happen to be true, But as in, since it's you, let me come out to you on the water. He was more saying, Lord, because it's you, I know I can do this because it's you. And so he steps out. You see, all Peter needed to hear was Christ give him the green light. And he was out of the boat. This was a tremendous act of faith in Christ. Peter did not trust in himself, but in Christ. And the reality is when we trust Christ and his plan for our lives, we will step out knowing that he is with us. You can jot it down. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The Great Commission. And I will be with you until the end of the age. That means as long as we are on this planet or until he returns, he is with his followers. He is with with his disciples. I'm going to pause here quickly for an application because I know if you're like me, When I sit in sermons or I hear messages or I hear people preach, I get to the end of the invitation and I kind of think, okay, I kind of think I know what I want to do with that. But I want to pause here and actually give you an opportunity just to, in your mind, begin to apply these truths. And I want to ask you a couple questions to help you with that. You don't need to answer out loud, but just think this through between you and the Lord. In what ways is the Lord calling you out of your comfort zone? Is there a ministry that he is leading you to serve in? Is there someone in your life that desperately needs to hear the gospel? And you're being called out of your boat of comfort to go and share it with them. Is there a decision that you need to make to demonstrate your trust 
in him. So how is the Lord applying this to you? We read of Peter's faith. He stepped out of his boat because Jesus was there and he knew that Jesus would sustain him. Here's the reality. When you step out of that boat that's holding you back and you know Jesus is with you and will sustain you, you will see God do things in your life you can't imagine because they're not based in you, they're based in him. It's not your strength, it's his strength in you. It's not for your glory, it's for his glory. It's not for your fame, it's for his fame. And so when we step out and begin to allow him to use us to go and share the faith with someone that we love, a family member or a friend, and stop letting fear hold us back. We sit in the boat and we think, but I just don't know that I can. Jesus calls out and says, it is I. Take courage, be not afraid. Go. I loved hearing someone share uh, just this last week about the opportunity the Lord gave them to share faith with someone that they've known for many, many years. And they've never really had a chance or maybe never taken the opportunity to share Christ. And finally, God created the opportunity, gave the opportunity, and this gentleman said, you know what, I need to do this, and stepped out. Despite his fear, despite the concern of what this person may say, just stepped out and shared their faith. And what a praise of how God... And when he calls us to these things, he knows what he's going to do. He wants to use us. Why? I have no idea because I know me. And I am not perfect. I make all kinds of mistakes. I don't get it right. I always think, Lord, you're sovereign. You're in control. You're all wise, all powerful. But man, choosing to use human beings in this global gospel plan, I don't know about that one. There's got to be a better way to do this thing. I mean, because as humanity, we do what we want to do. We stay in the boat. But he's calling us out. He's calling us to something more. So what, what do we do after we step out? We make the decision to share our faith, to get out of our own way, to, to do what he's calling us to do by his grace, through his strength. So what do we do after we step out? Well, the first thing we understand is we stay focused on the Savior. We stayed focused on the Savior. So what happens when we step out? Well, here's some things that will happen. There is risk. There will be storms. And there will be setbacks. When we choose, by grace, to step out, there will be risk. It is stepping out of your comfort zone, and that can be terrifying. Others may not understand Others may criticize why you're doing whatever you're doing, why you're giving up this to do that, or why you're surrendering time to do this. That doesn't make any sense. Others may criticize your reasoning. Could God really use someone like you? However, the reward greatly outweighs the risk. We step out anyway. There will be storms. And by the way, notice the storm was there whether they were in the boat or out of the boat. Stepping out of the boat didn't calm the storm. The storm remained. But there will be storms, and this is true of life. They do not cease because you and I surrender to what the Lord has for us. In fact, in some cases, they amp up once we get out of the boat. The Apostle Paul said this. And when he was a religious zealot pursuing Christians and arresting Christians as Saul, the great Pharisee, the great religious leader, he was successful He had all the credentials, all the the love and support of the Jewish people. He was basically a rock star among the Pharisees. Everybody appreciated, respected, honored the great Saul. And then he gave his life to Christ. 
And he saw imprisonments and beatings. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead in one instance, if not more. He was beaten and thrown into the deepest prisons. And he says, all of that religious stuff I had, all those credentials, all that, those accolades I had, I don't want any of it. I just want the knowledge of Christ. You see, when he surrendered to Christ, his life, in our understanding, actually got worse. Now, that's not what's preached today. People preach, well, just accept Jesus and everything will be perfect. Your bank account will always be full. You'll always be healthy. Everybody will love you. You'll get the promotion. You'll get the girl. You'll get the guy. You'll be great. Everything will be great. You're great. You're great. You're great. And I heard recently someone describe that kind of teaching, and I love the way they said this. If you are sitting under the influence of some spiritual leader, teacher, preacher, pastor, whatever, who only appeals to you with things that your flesh desires, that's not Christianity. That's a false teacher. If the pastor is only appealing to you and saying that in Jesus you can have all the things your flesh wants, that's not Christianity. In Christianity, we're called to something greater. Because my flesh doesn't want what Jesus wants for me. And so I love that we have an opportunity to pursue the things of Christ by grace through faith and say, you know what, Lord, the storm remains, but you're with me in the storm, so I'm going to take courage and I'm not going to be afraid. See, when we step out, there will be risk, there will be storms, and there will be setbacks. The reality is that we, like Peter, will sink at times. We will stumble. We will fall. We will fail. And when that happens... Christ, by his spirit and through the word, is ready and willing and able to pick us back up. Notice that Christ, in our text, you can go there with me. Look at verse 30 of Matthew 14. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Now, there is a word of correction here. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? But do you notice that he didn't correct him and say, are you going to get your faith right? Are you going to get that? Are you going to believe me? I'm, I can help you, but you got to believe. He's going down. I want to help you, but you got to, I got to hear it. I don't understand that. What are you saying? I don't understand. No, do you notice he rescued him first and then encouraged him to step into a deeper faith? And again, we get this so twisted. Well, if I have faith, then the Lord. No, 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 no. The Lord is already ready, willing, and able to do those things. He's doing those things. He's already rescued you. He's already saved you. He's already sustaining you. Now we cry out and say, Lord, grow my faith. Help me to trust you more. I love that he rescued first and then called him to deeper faith. Maybe you've stepped out before. Maybe you've surrendered and tried to get out of your boat and do that ministry and do that thing, whatever God has called you to, and you failed. It just didn't work out the way you thought it would. My encouragement to you is do not allow the failures of yesterday to become the failures of tomorrow. Don't allow the failures of yesterday to become the failures of tomorrow. We learn from our past mistakes, but we are not victims of our past mistakes. We, as Paul says, forget those things that are behind and we press on to what's before in Christ. 
You see, when we step out, there's going to be risk, storms, and setbacks. And we're going to be tempted to look at the waves. But what do we do when we are tempted to look at the waves? We make a decision to fix our eyes on Christ. Hebrews 12, 2. I'm going to turn there quickly. Hebrews 12, 2. The author of Hebrews, very famous passage. Hebrews 12. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses is the example of the believers that went before, which we read about in verse or in chapter 11. So we're saying that, that great example before us is a cloud of witnesses to us. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is Paul saying? He's using a different analogy. We're talking about getting out of our boat and stepping out into the storm, what God has us. Paul says, don't sit on the sideline, get in the race. And when you're in the race, get rid of anything that's weighing you down. Don't, don't put extra weights and burdens on yourself. Eliminate those things and run free. Then he says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's saying, when you're running this race, in our example, when we get out of the boat, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're not fixing our eyes on the waves. We're fixing our eyes on the creator of the waves, the calmer of the waves. You see, our confidence is not in our ability to endure through the storms of life, but looking to Christ, we will see that he is our strength. Another example of this in scripture, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but this is what Stephen experienced in Acts chapter 7. When he was martyred by the religious leaders because he was bold enough to preach Christ and to preach the truth of the gospel, and he was being killed for his faith, the Bible says that he looked up into heaven and he saw Christ. He fixed his eyes on Jesus as he was being killed for his faith. The Bible says that they rushed upon him to kill him. And yet, where was his eyes fixed? Where did he fix his gaze? He didn't fix his eyes on the hateful crowd. He didn't fix his eyes on the situation. He fixed his eyes on the one that is greater, the one that is sustaining him, and the one that will receive him when he leaves this world, the person of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, I want to encourage you with a simple application. Don't let the thunderstorms and crashing waves around you keep you from what God has in store for you. Every day, we're given chances to grow in Christ, to connect with others for his glory, and to make a difference through Christ. So will you step out? Will you step out? Will you fix your eyes on the Lord and not be distracted by the waves? How is the Holy Spirit calling you to step out of your boat? And what will you do to step out of your comfort zone this week. Let's have a word of prayer and then we're gonna have a time of invitation before we partake of communion. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And we pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom and application. Help us, Lord, to understand how we can step out of our boat and Lord, next week we'll dive into the different types of boats we find ourselves in. But Lord, many already know what it is that's holding them back. I pray that we would be 
courageous, not in ourselves, but in you. We take courage, we take strength in the reality that you are with us, and so we do not need to be afraid. The waves may remain, the storm may continue, but if you are with us, that is all we need. And so, Father, help us to call out to you this morning to repent of those things that we know we need repenting of, to flee the sin that is weighing us down, to ask you to save us if we need salvation. Because, Lord, all of this is for you and your glory. And so, Lord, what are you doing in our hearts and minds right now, Lord? How can we respond in faith to seek you, to call out to you, and to ask you to do the things that only you can do? And Father, again, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for all that you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation? We want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you want to come and bend a knee in prayer individually or as a couple, a family, whatever God is doing. However the Lord is leading, would you respond either there in your seats or here at the altar as we pray and respond, asking God to help us give us strength to step out of our boat for his glory.